From TriTank Experimental Laboratory, this is the TriTank Podcast, where we talk about all things related to innovation in the church. I'm Father Lorenz Labrija. Thank you for joining us. Welcome to the TriTank Podcast, episode 010, episode 10, on Theology of Abundance. And my guest today is the Reverend Dr. Sam Wells. He's the vicar of St. Martin in the Fields, and he has been there since 2012. He has served as a parish priest for 25 years, 10 of those in urban priority areas in the United Kingdom. He also spent seven years in North Carolina, where he was dean of Duke University Chapel. Sam is also a visiting professor of Christian ethics at King's College. He is a regular contributor to Thought of the Day on the BBC. He has published 44 books, although by the time you hear this, it might be up to 45 or 46 or 47. They come out really quickly, including works on Christian ethics, mission, ministry, scripture, liturgy, and preaching. Really, really good books. I have, I don't have all 44, but I have a good number of them. Uh, Sam is married to Joe Wells, who is a bishop for Episcopal ministry in the Anglican communion, and they have two adult children. The theology of abundance is definitely not the anything related at all to prosperity gospel. This is this is a, a wonderful conversation about what it means to be following God into a place of abundance. We'll be talking a little bit about the paradox of existence, the theological narration of scarcity, the too much God going where the energy is in our communities. And finally, we'll get practical about how we ourselves can be living into the theology of abundance by just slight adjustment to our imagination. I hope you enjoyed the conversation. Let's go to it. Sam Wells, welcome to the podcast. Great to be with you, Lorenzo. Thanks. You know, this is something. So when I was in England uh, earlier this year, this past summer, and I went to the Greenbelt Festival, I heard you talking about the theology of abundance. And there was one line that to this moment, I still just keep thinking about, because it is also, I think, very related to the work we do at TriTank. Uh, after several years of going around and hearing from a lot of congregations where they said, oh, we would be more innovative or we would do more things if only. And there was all there was a lot of if onlys. If only we had the resources of St. Richard's, or if only we were like the cathedral, or if only we had more young people. Yeah. There was always an if only. And we about a year and a half ago, maybe two years ago, I started saying, just believing. I hadn't read any of your your work on on the theology of abundance, God's companion, but uh, the which was God has given us everything we need to do the work we're called to do in the world right now. That was just became foundational for the work of Tritank is that we don't have to go beyond what we have to do that work. And then we're at this, this, this summer festival. And I hear you say, God gives us everything we need. If we experience life as scarcity, it is because we have failed to receive the abundance of God in the form in which God sends it. And I was like, I think we're talking the same language. And so I felt this was a good conversation to have. So for someone that may not be familiar with the term theology of abundance, which is different than prosperity gospel in so many ways, uh, right? They're just two, two completely different ends of a, of, of a similar thought. Uh, would you explain it for, for our, our audience? Okay. Well, I'm going to come at it from two or three different angles. You've, you've given the basic theological basis. I'm going to start with a kind of 
a basis that would apply to anyone, you know, anyone in the world or certainly anyone in the developed world. Um, so let's start by thinking about the number of human beings born since human life began. It's 117 uh, billion, just in case you're wondering. I, I was think that's wondering. enough Thank to you. be getting along with. We're adding human lives at a rate of 140 million a year. You'd think that was quite a lot of life. But we're only one species, I'll give you that. There, apparently there are around 8.7 million species on Earth. A good bunch of them are insects, but even so, you'd think that's quite a lot to be getting along with. We can't say there aren't enough, but then we're only one planet. Our galaxy, Milky Way, round about 200 billion stars, give or take. Our galaxy is probably one of around 300 trillion galaxies in the universe. You see where I'm going with this? Oh, yeah. I think <laughs> there's more than there's way too much of everything, more than enough, surely, by any calculation. But we're still captivated by the perception that there's not enough. We live under the illusion that if we had enough time, we could do anything. We could do everything. There's no flaw in our abilities or relationships. The only flaw is we don't have enough opportunity to manifest our talent and realize our ambition. If only some, if something doesn't come about there must be someone to blame and we have that sense of something having been stolen the right to fulfillment of our dreams so when a loved one dies we wish there'd been more time more opportunity a longer more extended period in which in which dot 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 in which what exactly it would have fulfilled they and we could have fulfilled our fantasy that everything can be achieved and all that hasn't been possible in this life can somehow nonetheless occur so that's what i call the paradox of existence there's way too much of it but when we try and get it all for ourselves and for our possession we find there's not enough and then we fixate on the not enough and we feel the sense of great injustice about it uh, and we feel the sense of unfairness that others seem to have more and if only things have gone differently we could have had all things and we have this great sense of bitterness if it wasn't for someone's in intervention like on scooby-doo if it weren't for that those darn kids <laughs> we could have had everything everywhere forever so that that's a kind of that's not a theological comment that's a kind of almost universal uh default western understanding that there's just not enough even though of course there's all these trillions of galaxies and whatnot so if you then translate that to kind of christian speak then um you have a, a more select range of things that we feel there's not enough of. There's not enough information. There's not enough resources. Um, there's not enough wisdom. Uh, you know, there's not enough men of a certain age in my congregation, whatever, you know, whatever it, people say. Um, and I think it all comes down to two, and it's actually one, really. But if I name the one that we think it is, or most often we think is there's not enough revelation. If only I knew who God was, what God wanted me to do, who Jesus really was. You know, if I got all of that sorted, that's the revelation thing. I actually think at the very bottom of that argument, what where it's going is there's not enough God. There's somehow not enough God. God is too small. And, you know, God's jolly lucky to have me. And uh, it's up to me to make up all the stuff that God was too lazy, too idle or too cruel or too incapable to do. 
Whoa, and that's sort of putting us above God. Well, well, it's. I mean, it's not stated out loud. It's just a general sense, and I think a lot of people go into ministry with that basic uh, grumbliness that if God had actually been enough of a God, God would have done all of this. Um, there's also there's a lot that doesn't kind of uh, fit about that argument, such as if there's nothing for us to do, where's the fun in that? <laughs> um, but leaving that aside, I, I see that as the sort of step two. So the first two is of the trillions of galaxies and so on, and that blows, you know, mind-blowingly abundant. Second is a sort of theological narration of scarcity. And then when I wrote God's Companions uh, nearly 20 years ago, I was playing with two related notions. One is that God is enough. And then gradually as I was writing the book, what took over was really God is too much. And God is too much, and therefore we build up resistances to being overwhelmed by the too muchness that is God, because we feel we'd lose our identity, our integrity, our sense of self. We'd just drown, almost literally. So that we have to build up resistances to the too muchness of God. However, of course, those those, those resistances don't serve us well. Uh, you know, faith, in a sense, is ceasing to res- resist being drowned by God rather than inviting God round for a coffee. Um, and wow. so then where that goes next is what what becomes of those resistances when they're inappropriately applied? And that's how we, where we get to the sentence that I think is, you remember me saying at the festival, which is to say the the reality of what God offers us is abundance, but if we experience our lives as scarcity, it's because we've refused or been unable to receive the too muchness of God in the form in which God sends it. And I guess that the most obvious examples of this, well, to take a perhaps controversial example, in the Church of England right now, as I'm speaking, we have same-sex couples who are coming to the church wanting to have Christian services in a church to bless their marriages. And the church is finding a way to turn them away. You know, here here are people aged exactly in the age group the church is longing to have more of, 20s and 30s usually, um, who are coming asking the church to pray with them. And the church is not finding itself able, certainly at an official level, whatever churches like my own do on an unofficial level, um, to to receive the, the too muchness that God is sending sending them in the form in which it comes. So to take another, you know, to, to put that scripturally, it's only when the man by the side of the road is beaten up and left in the gutter that he's prepared to accept help from a Samaritan, because a Samaritan is the last person he would accept help from. Um, wow! And, and, and so, you know, that so that's that that would be the analogy. God, God is sending help in all sorts of places, but but most of us, if we place ourselves in the New Testament, wouldn't dream of accepting help from most of the places from from which that help is coming so you know i've taken a controversial example there but but you can see it in so many ways i mean it, it, in my own church martin the fields in central london uh, all these arguments took place when we set up our commercial enterprise 
you know that 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 um yes yes it's an amazing place yes it's a very expensive place to run yes we could have 10 times as many people coming across the threshold who might get involved in our worshiping life or whatever else if we set up a business but no we can't do it because churches don't do that kind of thing why do churches not do this kind of thing because we never have and there's something about the money changes in the temple but i can't remember what what that actually referred to is that your best answer you know, God is creating this opportunity. There's loads of people who think this is a beautiful building, who would love to cross the threshold, who are looking for a cup of tea, having got been around the National Gallery or whatever they've been doing. They're, they are being sent to us, and we're finding 15,000 reasons why we can't actually open the doors and make, make them welcome. They're, they're very happy to open their wallets and spend money. And if you put a little note on the table saying what we do with homeless people and how we're trying to nurture young artists they'll be glad to open their wallets additionally to help with those kinds of initiatives but we're saying we've never done it and we don't really do that kind of thing no we do the eucharist on sunday morning um you know uh, and 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 that's you know that's the theology of abundance really is is that, that god is giving us way more than we need and we're finding these extraordinary elaborate ways of saying no i'm sorry we um we can't receive that thank you very much you know it reminds me i was reading um I was reading a talk given by Bishop, I believe his first name is Philip North, right in the UK. I don't have a, I have a lot of things that I disagree with him on, but, uh, however, this one particular talk was, he was talking about the, the word sustainability and that when we keep only keeping churches and looking only at churches that are quote unquote sustainable, we're missing the point of what ministry is because he said, we're going to become a church of and for the rich. He said, you want to grow the church, go to the poor. They will gladly receive this message. But few of us, for I live in Los Angeles, few of us would think about setting up a team, say, for example, of 10 priests to go to minister to the 70,000 homeless people in Los Angeles. Uh, and just that's, that's your job. Just go and be with them, be with uh, another Sam Wells, but go and be with them in the streets and just know their names and know their stories. It's not about collection. It's not about having them on Sunday morning at the, at, at, at the nearby Episcopal Church, it's about so that could be a way of looking at. There is a field out there of of people that do want to hear the message, but we keep we're so focused on. I think in the U.S., particularly on uh, actually, I know this is true also in the U.K. How do we keep our buildings open? How do we maintain our buildings? How do we? And so much of it becomes about maintaining the structure, maintaining the buildings than it does, for example, about how do we grow Christian disciples? How do we keep doing that work that we're, that we're called Let to do? Let me give you a couple of examples, Lorenzo, um, from St. Martin's in the last 10 years. So here's example one. We, um, we were at a stage where our homeless centre was getting most of its funding from the local council, which was quite right-wing and didn't want to fund work with asylum seekers. So it turned out the asylum seekers were spending most of their time in the church building which was becoming somewhat unmanageable and rather absurd, given that we had this huge homeless centre next door, which wasn't doing anything for them. <laughs> so we created something called the Sunday International Group on Sunday afternoons, for just for the asylum seekers, as a, as a being with ministry, you know, playing chess and telling stories rather than providing sandwiches. Um, and one day, after two or three years, we took the group for a walk in the countryside because getting out of london if you're homeless is difficult and they uh were walking i wasn't there but they were walking 
past a farmer's field where there was a farmer struggling in the field with a sheep. And one of them leapfrogged over the fence, uh, ran into the field and said, can I help? And the farmer was kind of looking desperate, and, you know, sticking his hands up various orifices and not getting anywhere. <laughs> and uh, so quick as a flash, within five minutes, uh, this guy from West Africa had stuck his hand up the right place and out came a little baby bar lamb. And the farmer understandably said, well, first of all, thank you. And secondly, how on earth did you learn to do that? And uh, the asylum seeker said, well, I'm a doctor. He was a doctor who'd had to leave West Africa because he was gay. And Mm. um, nobody, when he'd been to uh, soup kitchens and so on, had ever asked him what he did for a living. They just assumed he needed soup. Well, he had an awful lot more to give. And and that, you know, that's the thing about your Los Angeles 70,000 homeless people thing. Uh, if you ever actually ask these people what assets they have and what they would be absolutely overjoyed to contribute. But we treat people as a threat and as a burden because they're asylum seekers. We think they cost money and, you know, so on. You know, here's a person that could be a doctor in the National Health Service with just, you know, just a little bit of assistance and support and respect and dignity. So to give another example, um, when I came, there was civil war at St. Martin's over Thursday lunchtimes. Um, And that was because three days a week there were free lunchtime concerts run by the concert department, part of the business. One day a week on a weekday, there was a choral Eucharist. And Thursday was the other day when we didn't have any music and the clergy wanted to hang on to the slot, not to lose it to the concerts department, have yet another concert. You know, we have so many here. Um, They wanted to do something like Lectio Divina. So they did do Lectio Divina, but about 15 people came and you can get 15 people and a dog to anything at St. Martin's. So so that, you know, that really wasn't saying a great deal. (laughs) So on the first clergy sort of retreat day I had about a year after I came, I said, look, we've got we've got two things going on here. We've got a lot of people who want to come and hear music. And we've got clergy who really want to tell them something about faith or exper- help them experience something about faith. And they're at absolute loggerheads at the moment, complete impasse. So we created Great Sacred Music, which looked like a concert because we have eight pieces of music but actually felt like a service because I stand up and explain the music and give the theological background and talk people through it. We don't pray. It's not a a worship service. Um, We do sing hymns, but they sit down for the hymns because they're doing it as a sort of educational experience, or at least officially they do. And suddenly we're getting 200 plus people every Thursday come to something that feels like a service. And they're people that would never have come on a Sunday or on a Wednesday night to to a Eucharist. So all it took was finding, you know, going to the place of abundance, realizing we were being sent all these people who were dying to come into our building. We were shutting them out because we said, we don't want to give you more classical music. If you, They were glad to come in and hear talking about how a hymn was constructed or what, what the different understandings of the Eucharist were in Aquinas's music for Corpus Christi and Parnis Angelicus and you name it. And it works like a dream. Um, so all of that was a change of mindset that says, let's open our doors to the abundance that God's sending us. 
and, and let's see what happens. It, it's it's the it's the too short a story that says I've got to see immediate results from this, otherwise I don't call it ministry. Uh, and it's the narrowness of thinking if this doesn't end up with number one a greater attendance at the main Sunday Eucharist and number two a tithe, then it's useless. Well, you don't get any of that out of the New Testament. That that <laughs> that's out of a very narrow church business plan but it's too narrow you you know and generosity is the best investment because generosity invests the way god invests you know most of it didn't fall on the good soil but that's okay that doesn't mean it was wasted those are two amazing stories which i think really do exemplify uh and you just said going to the place of abundance so we try to make this podcast to be as practical as possible so for someone who's listening who may not have that mindset, but wants to, right? Which I think is a great beginning. You may not yet be there, but your willingness to say, I do want to see the abundance of God in the work we're doing. How can someone move toward that mindset? It probably won't be overnight uh, unless they have a revelation of some sort, but uh, how how does one move toward that? Well, let's imagine, I mean, uh, you know, uh, I'm, I, I'm trying to think of something immediate in the American context. I think of something very much in the British context. When people don't go to church in, in Britain on a Sunday morning, they often go to car boot sales or trunk trunk sales, you, you, you'd call them. I mean, you know, they everyone brings their cars, they reverse their cars. It's a bit like a tail. Oh, like a flea market. But it's a flea market, yeah, but it's done out of the back of a vehicle. Okay. Those are very popular in this country and old coins and all sorts of soldiers that have been painted in funny paint that probably kills you with lead poisoning or something. You know, you all get to change hands <laughs> at these things. So, you know, it, it's quite common for a church to be furious because there's nobody coming into their parking lot, but everyone's going just a few blocks along. Why not open a tent at one of those, um, you know, those events and say, you know, here's a here's a quiet moment or there's somebody here who can talk to you if you're struggling or something like that. Do you see what I mean? It's God is sending you all these people. All you've got to do is make a slight adjustment in your imagination to work out how to meet the people that God's sending you. Uh, you know, don't, don't, don't assume somebody's going to walk in the door as a fully-fledged tithing Eucharist twice a week Christian um, and of course, there's plenty of those people that in other parts of their life aren't everything you'd want them to be. So, so it's not, you know, just it's about the imagination at the end of the day and going where the energy is. There's always energy in a community, even if you don't realize where it is straight away. But there's really very little in the New Testament saying you have to come to this zip code. You have to be wearing these clothes. You have to donate this much. <laughs> and you have to attend worship this often, and your kids have to wear these clothes up until Memorial Day and these clothes after Labor Day. There's almost <laughs> nothing in the New Testament about this kind of thing, less than nothing. And I keep yet telling we, people we our, our imagination to those things. So, so it, it it it's about you know it's like a meditative exercise, but it's great if you do it with others in your community and and allow your imagination to say where it, what, what is getting people excited here where is god sending people where do you find people gathering what are they talking about when they're there and is that actually miles away from what church is or are we just not used to that being the way things are done you know that's a again i'm 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 also a practical person and and i i try to think practically so when you said slight adjustment to the imagination to, to your imagination uh i think that someone could 
right? Uh, one of the things that someone could do is in, in their neighborhood is on a Sunday morning, say, okay, this Sunday morning, I'm not going to go to church. <gasps> I know, right? Uh, they're already probably not. But drive around your neighborhood to see where people are. Are they at the park? Are they meeting somewhere else? As you say, to pl- find the places of energy where people are already gathering. And it doesn't have to be on a Sunday morning. To, to your point about few references in the New Testament, I've told on more than one occasion people, it's, listen, Moses only came down with 10 rules. The rest we've all added. So we can change the others. As long as we don't change those, and we sometimes want to change those 10. So why, For I think for us to be able, I think part of it, is when we catch ourselves thinking there's not enough, if only we had more resources, if only, when we catch ourselves saying, if only, that should probably be an invitation to say, or, and then improvise a little. That's another one of your books, right? The improvisation. Mm-hmm. Uh, and and just begin to say, what would be another way? What's another angle at this? The, the moment you catch yourself saying, if only we had more resources, if only we did. And that doesn't, what what I can hear somebody listening to this right now, which I would be remiss not bringing up is somebody might say, yes, I hear you, but we don't know how we're going to meet our expenses this month at the congregation. It's a small congregation and they can barely afford a priest. They can barely afford the insurance, the lights. So they're about to to lose all that. What do we say to someone that's scared, that's in that place of fear at that moment when we're talking, change your um, imagination? Here's another story. Um, I like stories. This is... (laughs) This is about a, a woman who took a wedding that was a little bit chaotic. They brought their own keyboard. They brought their own musicians. It was all very contemporary music and quite lively. Um, and then about six weeks later, she had a crisis on a Friday night when the her organist called and said, I'm, um, I'm not playing on Sunday and I'm actually not playing again. Um, and she spent Saturday trying to sort out the situation until around about tea time on the Saturday, she had a brainwave and she called the bridegroom from that wedding six weeks before and said, could you give me your brother's details? Because I thought he played the keyboard really well and we desperately need someone tomorrow morning. Can I call him? So she called him. He was delighted to help. Um, You know how the story ends. You know, he didn't need paying. He was glad to do it. He wasn't doing much with himself at the weekends, a bit lonely, and actually delighted to bring his mates along. And without, she went from a mediocre organist, she had to put a large amount of the (laughs) church budget funding into a guy who was glad to do it for for free and brought his mates. So, you know, again, it's about finding where the abundance is and, and, and just thinking and allowing yourself to be led by the spirit thinking in a slightly slightly different way what she found was was abundance where she'd only seen scarcity and again some things when it comes to things like the church budget we assume there are some things we have to pay for um sometimes actually it can transform a community uh to have volunteers i mean a classic example of this is when someone gets really sick, you know, someone getting really sick sounds like scarcity, but often it can be an, a, an abundant thing because it can generate from the community huge amounts of love and care and concern. And we can, and people start saying, Oh, we, you know, we've got this roster of people going to visit Marjorie. Well, we, we should be doing this for everybody. You know, suddenly the whole, you know, a, a, a scarcity moment turns into a moment of abundance. 
So I, I, th- I think is uh, your point about the Ten Commandments is a very good one. We've always done it this way, and God isn't providing the funds for us to do it this way anymore. So we close down. Obviously, no, 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 not obviously. <laughs> you know, so we we find a new and more interesting way to do it in a much more dynamic way, which which is closer to the energies that God's sending us. It's you know that's ministry, that's- particularly ministry in our generation. And I think that's also an opportunity for us to invite the Holy Spirit to, to co-create with us, to, uh, or rather, we co-create with the Holy Spirit. But uh, it's an opportunity to, it's a faithful way of living into it, to say, I may not know the answers. And and by the way, this is one of the things that Tritank always espouses, right? We, it's okay if you try some things and they don't work. It's okay as you're, as you're, it doesn't necessarily mean because you're looking for God's abundance that the very next thing you try will be a smashing success and you'll end up doing Vivaldi by candlelight every Tuesday evening for here until, you know, Jesus comes back and he'll go watch it probably, you know, which is, that's an inside joke because that's, they play that a lot at, (laughs) but actually, and, and we can finish on this. Could you? That's a that's a great story. Tell the story of Vivaldi and how that came about, which because you all have milked that till the cows yeah, come home. Absolutely. So Vivaldi's our our poster boy because when he went to the Pieta in Venice in seventeen fourteen as a priest and a violinist, he uh he found a situation where they couldn't you know, they were in the same situation you just described. They didn't have enough money to to keep running this orphanage. So he started writing some serious music. Uh, he wrote his Magnificat for just the upper voices because the boys would leave when their voices broke to, to go and do apprenticeships. Uh, so the original score of the Magnificat only has upper voices in it. Um, and what he did was he got the wealthy of Venice to come and listen to the orphans sing his music. It was a perfect social enterprise and just the that's why he's our poster child, because that's pretty much what we still do. <laughs> 317 odd year, nine, 18, I've lost track of the, the dates, uh, years <laughs> later. Um, just the same. We, we fund our homeless work through money generated through our commercial concerts and so on. And those run the building in which the homeless work happens. So it, it's a great, it's a great model and every, everyone's a winner. Uh, and, and people are all having a good time and it fosters creativity and imagination and entrepreneurship and improvisation and all the good things in life. Excellent. Well, what a, I'm inspired by the conversation and I can't wait for, for the people listening to also just start to live. I think really every time we say to ourselves, if only, I think that really isn't a, a trigger invitation to say, where is God's abundance in this uh, rather than that? Sam, thanks so much for joining us. Uh, it's been a pleasure. It's always a pleasure to talk to you. And to you too. Thanks for having me. Thanks for listening. Please subscribe and be sure to leave a review. To learn more about Tritank, visit tritank.org. Be sure to sign up for our monthly newsletter where you can keep up with all of our experiments. The Tritank Podcast is a production of Tritank in association with Resonate Media. Tritank is a joint venture between Virginia Theological Seminary and General Theological Seminary. Again, thanks for joining us. I'm Father Lorenzo Labrija. Until next time, may God bless you.
Do you have something to say? Are there people who want or need to hear from you? Have you always wanted to start a podcast but don't know where to start? Welcome to Resonate Media, where our mission is to amplify you. At Resonate Media, we focus on helping underrepresented voices and aspiring podcasters get started by providing equipment, expertise, and experience to help you launch a podcast. To get started, visit ResonateMediaPro.com. Don't let the confusion, complications, and costs of hosting, recording, editing, and distribution hold you back. The world needs to hear what you have to say. Resonate Media can help your voice be heard.